welcome to Navigating Your Career, the only podcast that blends personal development, professional skills, and psychology to help you get happy at work and live the life you want. If you want to stop feeling stuck and start feeling better, this is the place for you. I'm your host, Melissa Lawrence. Let's get started. Hello and welcome to this week's episode of the podcast. This week, I have a very special guest joining me, Tanessa Shears. She is a health consultant and coach, and she specializes in biohacking, which is a really cool method for optimizing your brain functioning and your brain health to get more energy, to maximize your mental health and your well-being, and she is going to be sharing all of the tips and tricks that she finds are most impactful to give you more time, to give you more energy, to bust through stress, and to feel better along the way. So I can't wait for you to listen to this. There is so much you're going to want to write down and take with you to start feeling better right now. So let's just go ahead and get started. Hi, Tanessa. Hey, Melissa. How's it going? (laughs) Good. How are you? I'm doing great. I have a lovely gap this afternoon. Baby's down for a nap. I'm excited to be talking to you. Yes. That is so awesome when the babies take the nap and you can do the things. (laughs) The best. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) So why don't you tell uh, the listeners a little bit about you and what you do? Yeah. So my name is Tanessa and I'm a health consultant. I work with high performers and entrepreneurs. And what I do is I help them biohack their brain and their body to really help optimize it so that they can have more productivity and energy and growth in their business. Right. Cause usually when they come to me, they're at that place where they're waking up really tired or they have, you know, fluctuating energy, or they're just feeling really overstressed and overtired. And, and the biggest thing they notice is like that, that that lack of focus and they are so easily distracted during the day. And when they come to me, they're just like, I just want to have the energy because I'm so drained at the end of my day that I can't be present with my family. I can't be present with my partner. I, all I want to do is watch Netflix. And I feel like I'm just wasting the evening and I don't ever feel refreshed. And what I usually will do with them is I will take a systematic approach and go through these different areas of their health, like sleep and movement and nutrition and stress management. And I'll customize a very specific protocol for them that helps them kind of reach that 90% of peak capacity. Because when we are able to show up to our work or our business fully focused, we can get so much more done in a day so that we can spend time at work, not thinking about what we were doing all day, but really being present with the people that matter. Yeah, that is so great. And I know that those that are listening are going to love this topic and this interview with you because there's a lot of scientists that listen to this show. And I heard you mention biohacking and all of the overwhelm of like work-life balance and stress. And we're going to get into all of that. And I'm so excited to dig in. But for those that might be new to biohacking, can you tell me a little bit more about what that is? Yeah. Isn't that a word though? When I first heard it, I was like, I love it. I was like, that sounds illegal. Like, what are we implanting? And it does. It sounds like, what, what, what's, what are we hacking? I actually, you know, I found it was a very intimidating word when I first heard it. But when I started really getting into what it was, I was like, oh my gosh, this is such a cool field. So essentially what biohacking is, is it's altering our external environment 
and our internal environment. So thinking things like our surroundings, our computers, um, how we sit at our desk, our external environment and our internal environment. So that's things like recovering with sleep and nutrition and movement and how we can, how we can strategically alter those so that we can have more longevity. We can have more brain energy. We can focus better and we can just have more overall health. So when I look at biohacking, that's what it is. Now, the way I differentiate it from just like regular health habits, like, you know, working out four times a week or eating clean, the way I differentiate it is I like to do biohacking in a way that is measurable and that I can see if what I am doing is making a difference. Because I, my clients are busy people, just like we all are, right? Like we don't have time to be doing all the health habits if they're not working. So I use wearable track, uh, wearable trackers, which is kind of like, you know, Fitbits and Apple watches and Oura rings. And what I do is I analyze the data to see if the habits that you're doing are yielding the results you want, or they are just a waste of time. Nice. So is this like, if I put this another way, is this like optimizing your brain health and then kind of maximizing the ripple effects that you would have from doing that? Or do I have that wrong? No, that's totally it. It's okay. It's, it's, it's coming from a place of being optimized, right? Yeah. Like the whole idea of being optimized is, is doing something to reach another level. Right. And mm -hmm. that's where my whole becoming limitless philosophy is. It's not about perfection. It's just about finding out what your brain and your body are capable of and what is possible. Cause I often find that we look around at everyone else in our industry or at our workplace and everyone is tired in the morning and they're dragging and they're on their fourth cup of coffee. We don't ever think to question if that's normal or not because everyone is tired, but why wouldn't we want to question that and mm -hmm. see? And so I'm always like, let's figure out what is possible because in my experience, once you realize how good your brain and your body are supposed to feel, you can't go back. You just can't live that life anymore. Yeah. That's so awesome. So tell me a little bit about the science behind this. Cause I know that those listening might be like, well, tell me a little bit more. <laughs> yeah. Well, that, that could be a very big question because there's science <laughs> behind every area, whether you're looking at exercise yeah. and nutrition or sleep or anything like that. But everything, every change that you want to be making to your health has to be founded in science, in my opinion, at least. So like if I'm asking a client to uh, invest in blackout blinds because it can help promote more REM or dream sleep, that is something that we can fundamentally lean back on and learn how to make our choices from. And then what I do is we watch the data coming in from our trackers and see if our guess at what we tried is actually making a difference. So the science behind it, we're always just looking at what are the selection of things we can try and then going through each thing one at a time, making one small change, seeing if it had the result we wanted or not, assessing whether we want to keep that habit that we've implemented or disregard it and try something new, or, you know, we can layer different things. So it's kind of like literally the scientific process where you make a hypothesis. Is this going to make the difference? I think it is. It's testing it. It's analyzing your results. And then beyond that, deciding what you want to do with those results. Yeah. And it, I think that there are a lot of neurologists that study this too, mm -hmm. and look at kind of the impact of your brain health and your overall health on things like um, disease that you may have memory cognitive functioning. So it sounds like it's really taking it beyond kind of those like brain teaser apps or those like do this puzzle a day for your brain and really looking at like a holistic view of your health. Is that yeah, 
I, well, I think medicine has gone kind of a, an interesting direction, meaning we have a specialist for the brain and we have specialists for the heart and we have specialists for the guts as if they're all individual things that are not connected. But if you look at the body from a functional medicine perspective, everything is connected. There is bi-directional communication between the brain and the gut. If the gut is experiencing inflammation, the brain is going to and vice versa. So we're always standing back and look at everything as a whole, instead of all these individual pieces that we're trying to make work individually. Yeah, that is so true. I actually was just having a conversation about that recently. And we had some people that had difficult health diagnosis and it was caught because of like, kind of like, um, a trail of one thing leading the other, leading the other, because they're all segmented. When you go to the doctor, it's like, oh, there might be something wrong with your pancreas. Go to this person or you're having headaches, go to a neurologist. And so there isn't really, and then the general practitioners are kind of just more general. So there isn't really very good, or I should say there's more of a gap when it comes to healthcare, when it ta- when you look at a holistic view of your health and what might actually be going wrong and what is actually working. So I love this idea of really looking at them all together as like one body, one human. How can you optimize the health and energy of that person? Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> so you mentioned high performers in the beginning, and I know a lot of my listeners probably all of them are high performers who are trying to do all of the things and they're working. Um, Many of them have families or have personal lives that they like to be active in. And they're always kind of striving for more and everyone always wants more time. So what are some quick wins that people can do to kind of get more energy? The biggest thing that I always love sharing is we need to place more emphasis and priority on our sleep and not just how many hours you spend with your eyes closed, but how many of those hours you're actually sleeping and what is going on in your brain while you are asleep. Because one of the most fabulous things I learned is when I was pregnant, I had decided that I was going to be the pregnant lady that took all the steps. Little did I know (laughs) that I would end up with such bad pelvic pain that I was basically couldn't take more than a thousand steps a day. So that didn't work. But what my tracker taught me about was actually my sleep. So I always thought I was the best sleeper. So some of you, some of you listening might even be like, no, sleep's a category that I'm good in. I get my eight hours. Right. I used to think I was like that too. I was like clockwork. I went to bed at 11 and I woke up at seven, maybe slept in a little bit later on the weekend. And I never thought anything of it. And there were like influencers I was following at the time that posted about sleep studies and were getting scans on their brain. And I just, I remember skipping them and being like, yep, got it. Not a big deal. (laughs) So when I started like watching my sleep on my Fitbit tracker, I was like, wait a minute. Why am I not getting eight hours of sleep? I went to bed at 11 and woke up at seven. What I didn't know at the time was that there's a difference between the amount of time that you spend with your eyes closed, which is called your sleep opportunity, how much time you give yourself to sleep and the actual amount of time that you spend asleep. So when I work with my clients, when I first start looking at their data on average, we spend about an hour to an hour, 15 minutes awake per night. So that not only includes the time your brain spends falling asleep, that's called your sleep latency. But when you're tossing and turning at night, or if you wake up to use the washroom or, you know, when you're waking up in the morning. So now if you're thinking, well, yeah, I go to bed at 11, I wake up at seven, that's eight hours. But if I'm awake an hour 15, 
you're actually only coming in at six hours 45 and you're now classified as sleep deprived. And that's where we start to see the toll on our brain, because when we aren't able to get high quality, full duration sleep during the night, we don't get to recover and inflammation starts to happen in our brain and our body. And when inflammation happens, that's what begins to zap our energy. Oh, okay. So when that happens, what do you do? Like, how do you, can you make yourself sleep in higher quality? (laughs) That's where biohacking comes in. That's the fun part. So one of the cool things to know is actually kind of what happens during our sleep. So at the earlier part of the night, like in the first three to four hours, our brain waves slow down quite a bit. We experience the majority of our deep sleep. So think like consolidating memories that you had during the day, recovering and refreshing your brain, recovering and refreshing your muscles. So one of the cool things that happens is your brain cells actually shrink back a little bit during deep sleep and your spinal fluid washes your brain out, which is fantastic because it moves it, it relieves your brain of a lot of the metabolites that have accumulated during the day, which down the road lead to dementia and Alzheimer's. So this is a, a critical part of sleep and that happens early in the night. But at the other end of the night is what I think of as gold for high performers, because that's when we experience most of our dream sleep. So a couple of really neat things happens during dream sleep. Number one, your body stops producing epinephrine, which is the stress hormone. So if we are spending quality time dreaming every night, that's when your body gets to stop being under stress, whether it's relationship stress, family from your work. But if our sleep is compromised, we don't get that opportunity and it builds day after day. Other cool things that happen, you can think out of the box, solve problems a lot better, read facial expressions better, which is so important, especially if you're working with other people, being able to read that body language. And beyond that, one of the things I find most important is our ability to regulate our emotions. So think about the last time you didn't have a good night of sleep and how irritable or maybe snappy you were Mm -hmm. the next day, right? Like I always want to be showing up in integrity in my, in my work and being able to manage my emotions. If you get a critical email or you get negative feedback, I always want to be in a place where I can respond professionally from a place of higher thinking instead of from an emotional standpoint. So that all happens at the end of the night. Yeah. That's fascinating. I love hearing all of that. So when it comes to productivity then, so kind of on the tail end of wanting more time, if we can do more with less time and do it at higher quality, faster pace, how can biohacking help with productivity? So when we're looking at how our productivity actually manifests, we often think it's things like how nice our calendar is or what planners we have or the scheduling apps. And we think it's just how our day is organized that makes us productive. Well, I want you to think about this. The last time you were able to show up to your work and you felt really tired, you weren't very productive. So productivity doesn't actually hinge so much on the systems as it does on your ability to have high, consistent energy, right? And if we want that to be happening, we need to keep the inflammation low in our body. So we're making sure that we are doing things to proactively protect our sleep, to keep our gut lining healthy and eat whole foods, and to make sure that we are, you know, having periods of time where we have you know, relaxation and stress and that we're not always on. So if we think about productivity, it really comes down to our energy. And there's so many specific biohacks that we can go into in terms of how to improve sleep quality and how to improve nutrition. So I don't know if that would be helpful to even go into some fun biohacks for that. 
Yeah, I think we would love to hear some biohacks. Yeah. So across Maybe the board. Maybe just give us one or two. Okay. Okay. You're right. Because I have a ton of yeah. them. So uh, the two that are going to make the most bang for your buck are number one, to remove blue light in at least the hour to two before bed. And blue light is something that we've all heard a bit about. You might've heard of blue light blocking glasses, but what I didn't know about it before was that the light that's coming from our screens actually acts as a break on the hormone melatonin. And melatonin is responsible for signaling sleep and letting us stay asleep all night. So we're not waking up at 3 a.m. with our brains, you know, going through our to-do list (laughs) and to stay asleep with high quality sleep. So having said that, what that actually means is we need to remove blue light sources. So there's three quick ways to do that. Number one, you can install scheduled blue light filters on our devices, phones, computers, all of that. They go on, they pull the blue light out of the screen. You never need to think about it again. Option number two, investing in blue light blocking glasses. And I don't mean the clear ones or the light yellow ones. If you want to protect your sleep, you're looking at red lenses because these will filter out the blue light. You look like you're, it looks like you're on Mars, but they are wonderful for creating that drowsy effect. And option number three is to give yourself a break from technology. This plays into so many other things like, you know, just being able to disconnect, but actually being able for a minimum 30 minutes, put down our devices. So that relationship with blue light has such an effect because there's something called a digital hangover effect. And they did a research study and they had two groups. Group number one was reading on a paper book And they watched their REM sleep levels. Remember REM sleep is the dream sleep that's Mm -hmm. responsible for all those great things that make our brain great at like seeing um, body gestures and facial expressions. So the group that read on a book found that they had consistent dream sleep night after night. The group that actually was on their iPad reading before bed and seeing that blue light in their eyes, they had suppressed levels of dream sleep for three nights after blue light exposure. So it's called a digital hangover and it's actually affecting our ability to feel refreshed and sharp and focused day after day. Oh my gosh, that's amazing. And it's making me want to like not be looking at you during this interview and turn (laughs) off the screen. I'm like, oh my gosh, I need to turn this off right away. You know, at different times of day are different things. In the morning, we really want blue light because that's what signals our brain that it is day and we want to be alert, right? So mm-hmm. usually anywhere between 12 and 2 p.m., I actually put on yellow lens, blue light glass, blue light blockers to kind of begin filtering the light. And then the serious red ones, they don't come on until about an hour before I go to sleep. Okay. So I love that good. you have different lenses that you swap <laughs> out during the day. <laughs> that is so good. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> So talk to me a little bit about stress relief, because I was just reading a study uh, this week that it was 95% of workers are looking for a new job right now. And a big attributing factor is burnout. So stress is obviously part of burnout. So what are some things that people can do to really lessen their stress? Yeah. One of the things that I love to do, I call a cognitive load detox specifically. And what I really like to do is think of your brain, not in terms of like stress or not stress, but in terms of your brainwave speed. So right now, while me and you are talking right now, or, you know, if we're driving and focusing or we're writing or whatever that might be, our brain is considered to be in beta brainwaves. It's a certain frequency of brainwaves and it allows us to be attentive and focused and sharp. This is amazing while we want to be alert and focused, but the last thing we want to be is alert and focused right before bed. So we need to allow 
our brains time each day to slip into the next state down called alpha brain waves. Watching friends is a really good example of that. You know how it's, you don't need to pay attention because we've all seen every episode like six times and it's, you get a good giggle out of it and it's light and you don't really need to think. And there's a different feeling in your brain waves. So I often find that that is what we are looking for is that contrast between beta and alpha during our day. Now it doesn't come down to specifically activities. Like we are very much sold the activity that like, or the idea that bubble baths are relaxing. But if you're having a bubble bath and you're thinking all about work all day, that's not going to do it for you. The same way with reading. If I'm reading a personal development book or a nutrition book, my brain is like, oh, that's so good. How can I try that? I can make that into content for my clients. Like, how can I, how can I start applying this tomorrow? That's not getting my brain into <laughs> alpha, but a fun, fluffy romance novel, that'll do the trick. So what we're actually looking for when we're talking about de-stressing or having is having that contrast between beta that we're in all day and alpha. And it's not about the activities, but how you feel. So if you're seeking out that feeling of calm and refreshed and peaceful, those are the feelings that you want to be going after and looking at your brainwaves. Now, a lot of the clients that I work with are like, what do you mean? What, how, how? <laughs> like I haven't felt that in so long. So there's actually an app that I have, and I use it all the time and I love it. It's called brain FM and they have like this patented note technology. And what it does is it invites your brain to sync its brain waves with the note bots in the music. So it just sounds like normal music to you and I, but it has a certain frequency in the underlying tones of the music that match the brainwave state you want to get into. So I think of it having it like a remote control and being able to dial your brain into the state you want to be in. And it has four states, but uh, the ones that I really like to use, I can dial into focus, which is wonderful for getting a lot of deep work done. I can dial into relaxed. I can dial into meditation or I can dial into deep sleep. And it's fantastic to kind of feel this technology work. And I use this with my clients and I invite them to try this if they are having trouble really getting to that place of slower brain waves on their own. That's fascinating. I love that. We will all have to check out that brain FM. Yes, it's great. That's so great. So much better. And I think that's so much more intentional than going to Spotify and finding classical music playlist or <laughs> something, which are all great about thinking hard YouTube channel. <laughs> Oh. Trying to find something to like channel it on your own. Well, totally. It's, I think it's because I, I did a lot of reading on it before I started using it because I always want to recommend things that I've actually looked into. And it's it's not it, the same as regular um, auditory music. So what you're probably used to listening to when you YouTube is something called binaural beats. It's when they play music in your ears and it's usually with headphones and the tone difference frequency is different in each ear and it cancels out to sync with a certain frequency that you want to get into. So this is actually a little bit different. And I have found trying both brain FM and binaural beats, which you can find on YouTube that mm. brain FM works a lot faster, <laughs> which I mean, that's great. Who wants to spend more time trying to get relaxed? <laughs> right. Yeah. We're trying to optimize our time. <laughs> totally. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> So what are some misconceptions about biohacking or maybe even some mistakes that people might make when they're trying to apply some of these hacks and tips that you've given us? Yeah, well, if you just go to Google biohacking, you are going to find the people that are doing the advanced things, right? And we often think that those are the 
shiny new things. There are things like laying on mats that have these pulse electromagnetic frequencies that help your body, you know, ground. It's like, there's so many things you can inject stem cells. You can like biohacking, it goes really deep and really techy. And sometimes if we, if we just go to Google and pick some things up, it either can be intimidating or expensive. And I often find that many things to do with biohacking are expensive. I mean, you have saunas that you can buy and put in your house. You can get inversion tables, like the wearable track. And that can feel like a barrier for some people is like, well, I don't want to spend that much. And that just looks scary. So I always love the idea of meeting people where they're at. For the most part, everyone could probably optimize their sleep. And that just might be as simple as, you know, turning your phone off 30 minutes before bed or with your food, making sure that while you are at work, that your blood sugar is stabilized. So picking things specifically for breakfast and lunch that are whole foods. So they came from the ground or they had a mother. So plenty of protein sources and vegetables and leaving our carbohydrates for the afternoon because those do promote a bit of a slowdown. So biohacking doesn't have to be techie. It can be super basic, but I think really realizing is what small area can I choose to implement something? Even if it's just during the weekdays, I save my carbs for dinner and see how you feel after two weeks. How's my energy? How's my alertness? How's my cognition? How are these things? And then if you love it, keep it and add one more thing instead of doing all the things at once. Yeah. That I, so that made me think of your tip that you had that I saw a while ago with the pillow. And I know we tried this at home and we have been telling everyone in our family about it and having them do it. And I mean, honestly, we had, we helped someone move and we tried that with the mattress and the mattress did not pop open. It was so, it was a very old mattress, but can you tell everyone what that is? They're probably like, oh my gosh, what is this? Yeah. I had this like bizarre idea. I was, so I like to research things for my clients and make them like lists so that they know exactly, you know, what type of pillows are the best and mattresses. And I was reading about the amount of bacteria and oil and mites that are in our pillows and realizing that our pillows only have a lifespan of two to three years. Well, I literally, everyone I talk to has a pillow that's five years or older. Uh, my sister was like, yeah, this pillow has been with me since I was a kid. And so there's this thing you can do called like the pillow test. And you take, this doesn't work for memory foam pillows. I'll give you that. But if you have most of the type of pillows, if you take your pillow and fold it in half and it stays folded in half, there is so much mite poop in your pillow that it has become too heavy to spring open. So what should happen if you fold your pillow in half, it should spring back open or just a rule of thumb. If you've had your pillow longer than three years, time to change it out. You spend a third of your life on it. You spend the whole night sweating and drooling and your skin like like off. It's lovely. But to think that your face is on this, like I had to do a whole podcast episode on it because I was mildly traumatized. And we, uh, we went for a double date with my sister and her husband. The next day we went to a store called sleep country and we're like, tell us all the things about the pillows. Give us the perfect pillow. And we walked out of there with like $500 in pillows because it was just, I was sold on trying everything. It was so good. <laughs> oh my gosh. Everyone is going, I don't know where you are when you're listening to this, but everyone is going to go and test their pillows because I don't know how even out of curiosity, you wouldn't want to just like make sure before you put your face on your pillow. For a so hotel pillow. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Oh my gosh. Yes. <laughs> hotels. That could be a whole other episode. Okay. 
I was just in an Airbnb for like four nights between, you know, when we moved out and into the new house mm-hmm. and I brought my own pillow. I'm like, I'm not taking any chances of being stranded anywhere with a pillow that won't spring back open. <laughs> no, thank you. Yes. We might be doing that in the future too. <laughs> So what are some ways that you have seen biohacking really make a difference for people? Like, I know that you work with a lot of different people, especially those that work full time. Like what are some wins or just kind of big ahas that people have had, like their before and after from applying these tips? Yeah. I think one of my favorite stories is a client. I've been working with her about four months now. And when she came to me, she was running two tech startups at the time, of course, two, you know, not just one, because why not? One more is better. Right. So anyway, she came to me and she was sleeping about four to five hours a night and eating one meal a day. And it was usually noodles around 4 PM, but she's like, yeah, no, I'm fine. I just need, you know, a little bit of help with just getting more productive. And I was like, no, no, no. Let us start with your sleep. So she's now sleeping about seven hours a night, which is still, we're still working on bringing that up. But she says to me the other day, she's like, you know what, Tessa, I am now getting more done in six hours. than I used to get done in two days because I'm not so easily distracted. Like when I sit down to go to work, I just get everything done instead of like flipping between Instagram, Facebook, Gmail. Oh, I got an Amazon tab open. Oh, my outlook's open, all the things. Right. So with seeing how well her brain performed. And I said to her, can you imagine if I told you, cause she works like 12 hour days. If I took two hours out of your work schedule every day to give you to sleep, she's like, I would have panicked at even thinking about that. But now I see it. Like I'm getting all these full night sleeps and I'm getting time done and my energy's up. And she's like, I just have this time left over in the day now. And I don't know what to do with it. I'm like, this is where we bring in hobbies, like those things that we lose when we're so focused on our work. Like a lot of us are like, what are hobbies? Isn't it work, make dinner, watch a Netflix episode, go to bed, repeat. Like it's really fun when we get to start bringing back in like life things that people have given up, like, you know, piano, they love to play and haven't played in a long time reading, you know, like going up for walks in nature, drawing, like all of those things that we've given up just when we become too overwhelmed in our own minds to be present and have a life outside of work. I read, um, I read deep work by Cal Newport and it was a wonderful book. And he was, uh, referring to this idea in the book of having an intention of having a day within a day. And we often think of our work days as the day and everything else is leftover. But he talked about this idea of being intentional with your other day, meaning you still have a day that's within a day. And instead of just treating it as those extra hours that you get through to go to sleep and do it again, like be intentional, plan those. What do you want to get out of those? Do you want to go for a walk with your family or do you actually intentionally want to watch Netflix? I mean, there's nothing wrong with that. I think it's when we go numb and unconscious and, you know, just end up going through life that we really start to feel like we're missing out on what we used to have before we got too busy. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. That's what I tell my clients too, around the kind of things they like to do around TV. And cause I talk a lot about TV, shopping, drinking, eating, all these things can be distractors when you're stressed and overwhelmed, or you don't want to process something and it's okay to do those things. It's not like I'm saying, don't ever do those things. It's just be intentional about it. Like you're saying, don't make it something that you're doing to distract yourself from actually being present in your life. (laughs) No buffering. Yeah, (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So are there any preventative measures that we can take other than we talked about sleep Mm -hmm. um, to just kind of help optimize our brain function? 
Yeah. I don't know if it's so much as preventative because I think we have to get in that. Usually I find so many people, it it takes getting to that point, unfortunately, until we're ready to make that change. Mm -hmm. But one of the wonderful things that you can do is take a look at what we're eating. I think we grossly underestimate how much the food that we eat impacts our brain. We just think, you know, food in food out has to do with, you know, uh, if we gain weight or we lose weight, the same way with exercise, it's really painted into this corner. But when we think about things like if it's creating inflammation, that's leading to brain fog. So what I always really like to do is start by looking at what we're eating during our work week, because, you know, going and implementing the whole week's worth of changes and, you know, completely changing what we're eating can be a lot. I mean, it's very doable, but sometimes people just want a bit more of a slower approach. So I always just like to think like during our work days, can we eat whole foods? So I always ask that question. And I think I mentioned earlier, did it come from the ground or did it have a mother at some point? Those are really good ways to tell if it's a whole food, because what these foods do is when we start introducing these foreign foods into our body, it actually can damage the lining of our intestines, right? And the problem with that is when you damage those linings, then it can't keep what's supposed to be out, out and what in, in. So we get some like partially digested food, bacteria that gets into our bloodstream and our body freaks out. It's like, that's not supposed to be in the bloodstream. So it sets off an immune response and we get a lot of inflammation and that will lead to like you talked about the fatigue and the burnout and the memory issues and stuff like that, because when inflammation goes unchecked. So I think looking at, at nutrition and then one of the easiest ways that you can do is just go on to Pinterest and look what's in your fridge. That's a whole food. And if you have say, let's say like I have zucchini and I have chicken and I have cucumbers. If you type those ingredients into Pinterest, it'll spit out a whole bunch of recipes that use those three ingredients. So you don't even need to be creative and go shopping right away to change everything. You can literally just look in your fridge and start with your next meal. Yeah, that's great. So you've given us so many tips and I am very appreciative. I'm sure everyone listening is like, oh my gosh, trying to like frantically write down everything they need to try. If you could kind of boil it down to three things that you think everyone should do to optimize their brain health and kind of use the the biohacking principles, what would they be? Oh, so number one uh, would be, I would say eliminate the blue light. That's what we we talked about that earlier. Mm -hmm. Um, Number two would be no sugar, no flour. And I know that's not everyone's favorite thing because they're like, what? what do you eat when there's no sugar, no flour? I promise there is so much tasty food on the other side of that belief that all good food comes from pasta. (laughs) Cause I remember that very much. I was like, what the heck do we eat if we don't eat flour during the week? But it really asks you to explore because there's so many um, nutrients that we end up missing out on when we fill our plates with, you know, food that doesn't have the nutrient values of vegetables and stuff like that. So that would be number two. And I think number three would be allowing time to do nothing. And whether you have that as mindfulness or a walk in nature, or you meditate, I think there needs to be time where you allow yourself to just be with your own thoughts without trying to distract yourself or escape them. That's often something that I'll give my clients. I actually just gave two of them that exercise this week is they take five minutes a day to do nothing. I'm like, you can look out the window, you can pet your dog, 
but I just want you just to do nothing. And if your brain decides to wander away to your to-do list, gently bring it back. Nothing's gone wrong. And it's going to feel terrible at first, but learning how to be present, it really helps with managing cortisol levels. And I think that so many of us have forgotten what it means to be in the moment because our brains are so busy all the time thinking about being productive, but it's really these moments and these strategies that lead back to productivity. They don't take away from it. They create it. Mm-hmm. I think that's so important. And, and I think same with the the people that I work with, they often come without a lot of time mm-hmm. and they find that hour a week coaching creates so much time where they're like playing solitaire and doing all these things when they feel like just like your client, they just didn't have enough time to do anything. And then suddenly they have all this extra time on their hands, but that practice of taking five, 10, 15 minutes of not doing anything I find is very hard for people to do. Yes. And it sounds simple because time goes by so quick and it's the same, it's the same thought processing that's saying I don't have enough time, but then to take five minutes, it's like, I can't do that. I need to be scrolling. I need to be walking the dog. I need Mm -hmm. to be doing something. Um, And just saying, I'm going to sit there and I'm not going to look at my phone. I'm not going to watch TV. I'm just going to be with my thoughts, I think is so important for your own mental health and well-being. Um, But I think it really helps you get in touch with what you want and who Mm -hmm. you are when you don't have all of that noise around you. Yeah. And I think we, we, we don't even see sometimes how busy we keep our brain. Mm-hmm. Um, I had a client and we we're working on her wind down routine before bed. And she's like, Oh yeah, well, I listened to an audiobook." book. I was like, Oh, I, are you just like laying in your bed and relaxing and staring at the ceiling? Cause I always like to kind of think, what are we doing? And she goes, Oh no, I'm playing online chess. I was like, and listening to your audio book. Like, I'm like, okay, we need to just take a second and just focus on one thing at a time. And I think that's another good tip as well. Like we said, just focus on what's in front of you and then just be present with that. Yeah. Great. So if people want to kind of check out a book at the library, if people still do that or get some more resources around biohacking other than coming to you, because I'm going to talk about how they can get in contact with you too. Um, is there anything that you would direct them to? Yeah. So if you're wanting to start with your food specifically, any book that you pick up by Dr. Mark Hyman will be fantastic. Specifically, uh, my favorite one has been called food. What the heck do I eat? And it looks at actually quality of food, not just telling you the same old, like eat vegetables and protein, but like when you're looking at your protein, how do you choose choices, which are, you know, the healthiest with the most nutrients. And it was wonderful. It was the book that actually got me to eat wild salmon instead of farm salmon. And I was like, oh my gosh, there is such a difference. It's mm-hmm, such a good is. book. Um, if you're talking about sleep, why we sleep by Dr. Matthew Walker was phenomenal. You just can never look at sleep again. The same after that. So good. And the last book I'd love to recommend, it's a big one. It's like the size of one of my university textbooks. It's called uh, boundless by Ben Greenfield. He pioneers a lot of biohacking things. And there are, is a chapter in that book on literally every biohacking thing you could think of, whether it be from nutrition to sleep, to tech, to, um, symmetry and beauty, like everything you could want to biohack about yourself. It's in this book and it's like it's six, 600 pages, but it is phenomenal. And I absolutely love that book. Thank you so much for that. So now tell us how to get in contact with you. I know you have a podcast and all the things. So let us know how we can get in touch with you. 
Yeah. So I do have a podcast where I totally nerd out and really deep dive on a different topic every week. For example, what's really going on in your pillow, the whole topic on that. (laughs) Uh, But my podcast is called Becoming Limitless. And it's really how to teach you how to optimize your brain and body with science and biohacking so that, you know, you can have more energy and productivity. So that, but beyond that, I am on Instagram at Tanessa Shears and I always posting kind of what's going on and how I'm biohacking my own sleep and what I'm eating and all the fun things on there. And I'm definitely easy to get a hold of in terms of, you know, saying hi or asking a question if you have one. Yeah. And I think you have such great stories too. So definitely (laughs) would encourage people to reach out and follow their own. That's where I learned the pillow, the pillow track. (laughs) There's a lot of really valuable tips that you provide in there. So it's a very vulnerable thing to go on Instagram and show everyone that your pillow does not unfold. That very much happened. I was like, ew, (laughs) but I guess it's real. (laughs) Yeah. It's very relatable. Yeah. (laughs) All right. Well, thank you so much for joining me on the show. It was such a pleasure having you. Yes. Thanks for having me. I get asked all of the time, how do I know if I'm in the right career? Now you can find out. I created a free quiz using my criteria for what makes a great job fit. You can take the quiz at my website, www.melissamlawrence.com. And in less than three minutes, you'll know the answer. So you can stop guessing and take some action. And as a bonus, if your job isn't a great fit, you'll get some resources to help you decide what to do about it. Head there now.